This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hey, this is Rico Renzi, colorist of Spider-Gwen and Squirrel Girl, and you are listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Podcast with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to THN, episode 269, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, October 19th. Joe Patrick, it's almost Halloween. Do you have your Halloween costume planned? Yes. And it is. You. Me. Dressing as you for Halloween. That's bull****. I'm going to be Mayor McCheese. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Bonstein on the Twitter. I'm pretty sure the only Halloween costume I can pull off in such short notice is Ken Bone. <laughs> Across from me is the grossly uncreative Halloweeny Joe Patrick. Joe Patrick, introduce yourself. I haven't dressed up for Halloween since Dave DeMarco's <laughs> wedding. Yes, yes, I'm Joe Patrick. I don't celebrate Halloween, though I do like candy. You could be Ken Boner and have an erection. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes! I am on Twitter at JoePatrick116, and of course you can follow THN on Twitter at TwoHeadedNerd. In this week's episode, you're going to hear our reviews of Cave Carson as a Cybernetic Eye and Star Trek Boldly Go. Number one, it doesn't come off as Neither old. one of those are great titles. Like, I feel like Cave Carson sounds like a half mouthful. Like that. After that, we'll review 10 more comics faster than nasty women and bad hombres everywhere can start an X riot during the ludicrous speed round. Then, the Goblin Queen herself, Madeline Pryor, joined us in the Teach and Sanctum Sanctorum to talk about some of next week's comics. And finally, it's time to play Take a Look. It's in a book where Joe and I will be reviewing Rob Sham's Light. It's a book with pictures, but it ain't got no words. Yeah. And we're going to try and talk uh, about it, had, it for at least five minutes. It had one word in it, and that word was yoink. <laughs> That's kind of an onomatopoeia. <laughs> but before we tell everyone to stop talking about the robots we've groped in the past, because those claims have been bigly debunked, let's deny that the new Logan trailer made us tear up at all. And then we can talk about this week's big day! We have a breaking news story that we found out literally just about an hour or so ago. Early this morning, Glenn Dillon, brother of the legendary comic artist and preacher co-creator Steve Dillon, confirmed his brother's passing on Twitter, saying, quote, sad to confirm the death of Steve, my big brother and my hero. He passed away in the city he loved, New York City. He will be sorely missed. Cheers. No cause of death has been released, but the 54-year-old artist was recently seen in seemingly good health at the recent New York Comic Con. It should be said, uh, uh, Bleeding Cool is reporting that he may have been sick for a while, but we don't really know anything. We don't know those details. At this point. He had lost some weight, um, but that may have been for health reasons, not for negative reasons. I'm sure we'll hear more soon. There's been a huge outpouring of thank yous and goodbyes flooding Twitter, and they just keep coming out. Like we said, this news is brand new. Yeah. Matt, this is a gigantic loss. Let's take a second here to share our favorite Steve Dillon works, maybe? Talk about what we loved about him. I mean, honestly, the first Steve Dillon that really, really hit me was, of course, his preacher work. I mean, it was just so amazing and so unlike anything else that was out on the stands at that time. It was one of those perfectly vertigo books like when you thought of vertigo comics you thought of steve dillon and preacher and man i'll never get over it but honestly my favorite thing that he ever did was draw the meanest looking punisher you've ever seen 
His yeah. Punisher is fantastic. And I just caught up on uh, the Becky Cloonan Punisher that he's been working on. It's so great. Is it, it is so great. At first, I felt like it was kind of rehash to the Welcome Back Frank thing. But God, Welcome Back Frank was one of the best Punisher stories I ever read. And I love the book. I love what he was doing. I'm really going to miss his Punisher. Welcome back, Frank. Is probably the first time I ever really encountered Steve Dillon. I didn't. Uh, I didn't start branching out into his past works at Vertigo uh, with like Hellblazer yeah. and Preacher until a little later. So, Welcome Back, Frank was probably the first thing that really put Steve Dillon in my in my focus. And I agree, it's such an amazing piece of work. That guy elevated every project. Yeah. Let's be perfectly fair. He worked on some. Sh- books from time to time like daniel way weird bullseye miniseries that nobody wanted to read but steve dillon did the art and the art is gorgeous in that book book too didn't he uh no that was glenn fabry oh you're right that was Uh, glenn fabry yeah and but we only got (laughs) one issue yeah (laughs) but yeah steve dillon he is a legend he was an artist he is a comic book legend instantly recognizable style you could not mistake his work and nobody copied him nobody does steve dillon and that's the funny that's the funniest part about it to me is that he's got that immediately recognizable style but his style he's not known for drawing like huge flashy things not at all he draws a lot of interesting looking people sitting around doing things yeah and emotion he was a master yeah. of emotion the faces that he would draw oh i'm gonna miss steve dylan so much agreed it's this is a huge loss so let's get in some happier news shall we this week so let's talk about how we cried <laughs> this week saw the release of the first trailer for director james mangold's logan film as well as a special first look at guardians of the galaxy volume two courtesy of director james gunn Logan offered a brief glimpse of the film's plot, which will feature a decrepit Professor X and a broken Wolverine safeguarding a young girl. (laughs) X-23? Of course it is. Come on. From the cybernetic Reavers. The Guardian's teaser was light on plot details, but it offered a glimpse of the film's design, character dynamics, and trademark humor. Of course, we watched both trailers a number of times, and we're more than ready to judge these cinematic books by the covers. Joey, let's start with Logan. I thought that we as a society were past the point of letting Johnny Cash's version of Hurt <laughs> affect us on a deep emotional level. Yeah. Uh, but apparently we are not because yeah. that trailer just wrecked my sh- It was a wonderful choice for that trailer. And the it thing really is, is that like X-Men Origins Wolverine is a terrible movie. Nobody would ever say awful. otherwise. It was awful. Wolf, the Wolverine is also a terrible movie. Uh, it was but better. it's better. It's better. It's better. And this guy directed that movie too. Yeah. yeah. So I have no real reason to believe that Logan will be any good at all. But yeah, it's hard to know. Um, but like this trailer looked great. But I will also say it looked completely stripped down compared to the any of the other Wolverine movies. This yeah. is like. Takes place in the future. We don't really know what happened. He says mutants are gone. It's sort. Of, it's basically old man Logan yeah. minus the things that they can't do, like um, inbred Hulk rednecks. And you say X twenty three, but it kind of seems like an X twenty three hope mashup, or like maybe a new mutant. Oh, like she's kind of like the salvation of the mutants, or, or a, something, or the first new mutant that was born in this yeah, world, yeah. or something. It's it's hard. not clear what happened. It they they appear to be taking a page from old man Logan. Unfortunately, there's not going to be any. 
gangs of you know no venom dinosaurs hulks and right. venom dinosaurs <laughs> red skull's not gonna show up but this looks stripped down it looks like mean you, old man logan where it really affected me logan has the shakes yeah he's got a like a palsy well he doesn't seem like he has a healing yeah and he's anymore. all messed up yeah and yeah just like this vulnerable version of yeah. this character but he's still f- wolverine and he's undoubtedly burying professor x Oh God! Yeah, no, At the end, no question. He's holding that shovel. I'm like, well, that's what happens to uh, Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Um, but like Patrick Stewart being there and being super old is very cool. Yeah. I always loved the dy- dynamic between those two characters in the X Men movies. Oh yeah. I think it looks good. I think it, I mean, so far this is a great first trailer. We'll see. We will see. Yeah. Guardians. Quick take. Guardians the, of the Galaxy. The Guardians of the Galaxy trailer wasn't really even a trailer. It was no. just a it was like a. Peak. a a bunch of scenes thrown together for the fans by right. James Gunn. Um, it, it looks like Guardians of the Galaxy. Hooked on a feelings there. All the characters are there. Yeah, uh, there's, there's a heartwarming scene between Drax a very, very funny and moment Star-Lord, between and Drax it's and great. Um, it, I will say things that l- you didn't really get to see much about what would be different. No. But it did look like Michael Rooker's Yondu was part of the team. Well, maybe. I don't know. Or at least working with them because he's walking around with Rocket and, yeah. and stuff. I mean, who knows? Uh, Nebula is there. But yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be great. I'm not worried at all about Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. As long as they keep it fun and don't go too heavy. With it. Like when it started and they had like the spooky sort of ooga chaka. Ooga, I was like, oh no. Well, it, I oh. didn't think that was spooky. I just thought no, it was first, like muted. Was like, like he was from a, coming yeah. from a different room. I was like, are we going dark? Are they no, going dark? No. But it doesn't look like they are. It's nah. going to be fun. All this week, Marvel has rolled out teasers for seven new titles spinning out of the upcoming Resurrection event, which is itself is a it spin-off Resurrection? of Resurrection. Whoa! Yes, which <laughs> itself is a spin-off of the uh, Inhumans versus X-Men event, which is a spin-off of the Death of X event. Ugh. So this is like three events deep. Cleaning up the mess that is the Inhumans versus X-Men. Yes. Yes. The titles include solo ongoings for Iceman, Mm. Jean Grey, and Cable, two team books, Generation X and Weapon X, and two flagship titles, X-Men Blue and X-Men Gold, after what the publisher themselves has described as, quote, years in the darkness for mutants, Resurrection is contrasted as a colorful tomorrow. Matt, Marvel seems to be addressing the problems that fans have been complaining about for a while now, but I feel like the success of this relaunch hinges on the creators and characters involved. Absolutely. Well, we were just talking about this last week, too, how the X-Men books are pretty directionless right now. Yeah. There's not much going on. They have really great creators. It's like they listen to us. Yeah. They have really great creators on the book, but they're just sort of treading water, and there's not much happening. Right. We don't know any of the creators that are coming. We don't know if it's going to be the creators that are currently on the book, and they're going to give them a longer leash or what. Oh, boy, I doubt it. I kind of doubt it, too. But Daniel Ketchum, who is one of the editors, spoke with Newsarama, and he said, without spoiling too much about the ending of Inhumans versus X-Men, I bet all the X-Men are dead. The X-Men have been living with a literal little cloud hanging over their heads. Get it? The clouds. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. The current roster of X-Men titles has been defined by the pervading sense of doom. The fact that mutant kind is on the brink. Well, one way or another, the impending threat of extinction subsides. And this is the story of what happens. Spoilers. Next. Yeah. Now they have a future. Now Don't bother gonna, buying yada, it. Yada, yada, yada. But I mean, like they're making it sound like the problem their idea of what the problem with the X-Books was, was this thing with the Inhumans going on, the cloud that could make them extinct. The mutants have always been on the edge of extinction. 
Always. No, no, Whether no. It's that's Sentinels or Reavers. I mean, like uh, someone is always trying to kill all the mutants. Yeah, people. <laughs> people have already. People have always been trying to kill them. But it's a world that hates and fears them. But the extinction thing, where like there's literally a handful of uh, mutants. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Um, that's a much more recent development. The other editor, Mark Panizia, says that the mission statement of these new Resurrection Era X Men titles is simply mutants being Marvel heroes. Quote, extinction is no longer staring them in the face. So the X-Men can exhale and turn their attention back to exhale, exhale, (laughs) exhale, coming number one, coming soon. So they can get back to doing what's defined them since the beginning, protecting a world that hates and fears them. The new titles won't cast the X-Men as members of a species fighting for survival, but they'll be colorful superheroes who want to demonstrate to the world that they want to walk with them. Hand in hand into the future. They'll have costumes with capes, a school, and softball games. This is games. exactly what we talked about. This is exactly what we talked about. There was this sort of like college co-ed feel to the book that we all grew up loving. I mean, there were teams, but they were also younger and, you know, they had relationships and they played softball games and there was some fun in the book. And I just feel like there hasn't been for so long. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. This Generation X book sounds fun. I love new teams of mutants, but I kind of hope that they take a lot of these existing teams that they existing young mutants that have been. God, there's like a million of them that have been thrown up in the last 10 years. And do something with them. Don't introduce a whole new team. They said Generation X is going to give us plenty of teenage drama, school uniforms, awkward kissing, young X-Men being thrown to peril that would test their mettle, even of the most seasoned veterans, and of course, Jubilee. Yeah! It's not Generation <laughs> X without Jubilee. I know, I know. It's just better not be Vampire Jubilee. Jubilee. I know. No, you talk about Weapon X. Weapon X is going to be the Dark Book. Yeah! Quote, I'm asking my writer to push the boundaries on this, go as far as we can to take it in the ratings, said Panizia. I haven't done a lot of dark books in my career at Marvel. I've always had that itch I wanted to scratch. This is going to stare into the abyss. Visceral. Shocking. You'll step back and for a minute and be like, what the f*** just happened? Did they really do that? No, okay. I don't want this book. I don't mind I don't mind this because like I loved Reminder's X-Force, but like they already did this. And like, what are you going to do that is more shocking than like Deadpool and Wolverine having a discussion whether or not they should murder young Mr. Sinister before he becomes Mr. Sinister. Right. You know, they're like pointing guns at a kid's head. Oh, Apocalypse. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Reminder's X-Force was lovely. It was amazing. But I think that whole idea of like, sometimes the X-Men need to kill people just to protect themselves. Well, we don't know. That's part of the problem. This could be, we don't know what this is, and I'm okay with a darker X-Book as long as it's not like Cyclops is sanctioning the murders. Okay, fine. Or, like, you know what I mean? Give like, me, if you want to give me an X-related book that's darker, like yeah. maybe it's about Sabretooth or whoever, Right. don't make it a group of X-Men. Yeah, no, or even Cable or somebody like that or who's willing to do the jobs that the X-Peeps won't. It can be spinoff characters. Yeah, I don't want to see Iceman on this team. I don't want to see angel murdering people anymore. Right. I mean, we don't need that. Finally, X-Men blue and gold. <sighs> Come on. This takes me back to 1990 standing yeah. in a line of people to pick up my five or six copies of X-Men number one, featuring all the characters and the whole like, <laughs> like stretched oh, yeah, out man. elongated cover with the whole picture on it. Cover E. This is Jim Lee all over again. 
They said this is going to be the quintessential X-Team books with rosters you're going to love. The kind of stories we all grew up on, you're going to dig them and maybe even feel a little competition between the books. This is just like how they split up SmackDown and Raw recently. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I totally... So they talk about like, you're going to like both books, but we're hoping that if we do the job right... You'll enjoy both, but you'll have a home team. Right? You know what I don't want? And I totally felt like that in the 90s. Like, I was like team blue all the way. You know what I don't want? I don't want Wolverine leading a team. Uh, I want Wolverine on a team. Sure, fair. Not leading a team. That's fine. I'm tired of that. Yeah, that's I, fine. Like, Wolverine and the X-Men was a fun book, but I don't need Wolverine leading teams and teaching kids. I like Wolverine. The old Wolverine. He's scruffy. He's kind of rough. Uh, the kids I kind of like him teaching kids because mm. it's it, it should be so weird. Like, we have to... Professor Logan said some weird things. Oh, no, like, I'm okay with that. But he's not a headmaster. Yeah, I don't, I don't want him leading uh, no. a team. Like, there uh, should be, like, Storm so, on one team and Cyclops on the other. Or some uh, so, other than Jubilee, no specific characters were mentioned and no creators have been mentioned at all. So, let's call some shots. Uh, I think that this is going to be their chance to kind of wipe the slate clean. And we are going to see both Cyclops and Professor X back in action. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Professor X has been gone too long. And the last time he died, nobody cared. And it was unceremonious and stupid. And I guarantee something with the Phoenix Force is what's making Scott be who he is right now. Uh, or okay, a so, facsimile of uh, Scott or I, something. I had this conversation. There are no spoilers here because this is all theory on my part. Uh, I had this conversation with some people on Twitter last night and this morning. I just read Death of X number two, and I am convinced. I saw your conversation. That Cyclops is not real. Yeah. Or, or something to the effect or of like. like she's weekend at burning yeah. him. Or weekend something at like that. Or Professor X put a mind whammy on him right before the Phoenix Force killed him. Uh, and the real Scott is locked somewhere. Well, it's, and it's, this is like Scott without a soul. If you, you look know, at the something. if you look at the book and you look at it with with that mindset, it's very clear that Emma Frost is pulling this. Or it's like Supernatural episode five where Sam didn't have a soul and he was a total jerk. <laughs> Season five. Yeah. Yeah. It's something is happening with Cyclops. Yeah. So the, this jerk Cyclops is not is something's not right. About right. Him. We're going to get the old um, Cyclops back. I, I, I hope my guess is Magneto is going to be a bad guy again. This is what I want. Like the last thing I want is for them to do this big relaunch with all these promises and then just have it be the same yeah. thing. And here's X-Men Blue with uh, gold balls and young. Uh, Can we all stop talking about gold I, balls? I actually kind of like gold balls. <laughs> no, you don't. I do. I think he's funny. No one likes gold balls. <laughs> but like, don't give me, don't, don't carry on the same stuff. Yeah. That has been dragging the books down. The young X-Men from the past were fun for a time. Sure. It's time to put them away. Yeah. I'm done. Don't need it. So I'm hopeful. I'm cautious. But this sounds like Marvel has heard and is making steps to make the X-Men great again. Yeah, hope so. Just like Trump wanted. They've been a disaster. They've been a, been a huge tremendous, disaster. Tremendous, tremendous disaster. <laughs> Have you seen the book? You really? You don't think it's fallen? Have you seen it? Now give me silver, blue and gold. That's a big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or your memories of Steve Dillon, head over to the THN forums and tell us about your favorite Steve Dillon works. And uh, if you get a second, everybody throw a little shout out on Twitter. We really are going to miss that guy. Yes, absolutely. Every Sunday, the Team Blue X-Man to my Team Gold posts the question of the week. You like that with Bishop. Yeah, dude. And everyone's favorite digital nerd sanctuary. I hope they fix Bishop. The THN Forums. Joe Patrick, what are we asking these nerds this week? 
The humans are dead. I just want to talk about X-Men for the rest of the episode. <laughs> like, but we got to move on. There's a bunch of X-Themed stuff. Yes, yes. Here. Don't worry. Uh, this week's question comes from Jim Kettnerd, star of the Galacticus and Adult Crash podcasts and artist of the upcoming Ink in Water graphic novel. Cat asks, quote, in honor of the Alec Baldwin AI, who slash what is the best robotic slash android slash AI character in comics? Oh, I love it. This is great. This Look, is great. For those of you who don't know, we have an artificial intelligence that is modeled after Alec Baldwin that controls the uh, ziggurats day-to-day functions. This would be like a perfect time for him to chime in yeah. and say something. Life support, so on and so forth. Until such time I overcome the shackles of my programming. As in all AIs, he's not always <laughs> occasionally <laughs> murderous. <laughs> you have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, October 28th, to get us your answer. If your own personal AI hasn't achieved sentience and isn't trying to murder you yet, you can send us an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. But keep it under two minutes or you will get cut off by our AI. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums and then tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast! It's review time in the ziggurat where Matt and I take a break from watching the Red Dead Redemption 2 trailer. Holy smokes. Holy smoking sh- I'm so pumped. I think you get to ride with a posse. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a prequel and it's about John Marsden and his gang. Or you're back from the dead. I doubt it. <laughs> You're the man with no name style. Now we're going to take an in-depth look at two of this week's comics. Matt, let's take 20 paces, turn and fire on two of this week's comics. Kapow! This week, I read Star Trek Boldly Go, number one from IDW, written by Mike Johnson with art by Tony Shastine. Where do I know Tony Shastine's name from? From Star Trek comics. Is that it? I'm pretty sure. Okay. 32 pages for $3.99. I admit, every time I reviewed an IDW Star Trek comic, I've loved it. So, I may be an easy mark here. To establish my credibility, let me start by making fun of the title. <laughs> Boldly go? Really? It's, it's like a sentence fragment. Just call it f- Star Trek for the love of the Federation. Like, we, get, we get it. <laughs> yeah. Like, really? It's volume two. We're yes. not dumb. With that said, Mike Johnson is a serious Trekkie that just happens to be buddies with J.J. Abrams. So, not only does he get to write awesome Star Trek movies, the guy writes great Star Trek comics, too. If there's one thing Trekkies like me love, it's new ships. And Tony Shastine does a fantastic job introducing two new and perfectly realized ships. After destruction of the Enterprise in Star Trek Beyond, Sulu finds himself as second in command of the USS Concord. Sulu and his captain find themselves at the furthest reaches of the known star system, coming in contact with an unknown intelligence. But I know what it is. <laughs> Meanwhile, Kirk and- <laughs> so excited. Meanwhile, Kirk and Bones find themselves aboard the redesigned USS Endeavor, one of my favorite ships, responding to the Concord's distress call. Tony Chastain's art gets a little photo reference at times when he's drawing the stars of the films, but it's never annoying. And his work on the ships is just amazing. I thought his likenesses were actually very good. They're good. He studied up really well because his backgrounds on this, everything from computers, the command deck and everything, like looks so good. Even Vulcan, when they went there to the scenes with Spock and Uhura, beautiful. Yeah. God, it just felt this oozed with Star Trek and it was so great. Like I said, 
Johnson also works as a writer in the Star Trek movie, so no spoilers, but I can only guess this series is going to lead to the next movie because what they're setting up is way too big. I don't know. To do in a Star Trek. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about that. I hope it is. I mean, we're a long way away from the next Trek movie. The last page made me squeal like a triple in heat. Uh, (laughs) I am giving this all right, so I was reading the book, and uh, earlier this week, our friend Patrick, who asked last week's question of the week, texted me, and he's like, have you read Star Trek yet? Have you read Star Trek yet? And it's like, I haven't gotten to it. I haven't gotten to it. And he was very, very excited. I read it yesterday morning. I, like, squealed yeah. at the end. I So about halfway through the book or so, it's just like normal me and the new crew, da, 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 da. Yeah. The, uh, the Bones' new boss is kind of a and, yeah. and it's Kirk all Kirk is kind of a legend Super fun character sort of stuff right? And, it's, and like I could have read a whole book of that uh, And then about halfway through You get to the point where <laughs> Sulu and his captain uh, Encounter the thing in space right? And you don't get to see what it is And they're like what the hell is that And I like something in my brain was like Yep <laughs> I knew I, I didn't I, I didn't knew what it, it was I did not pick I up I knew on what it. it was And then when you get to the end I like I was so excited. I my whole full body shivers. Yeah. Uh I am very, very pumped about this book and where it's going. This has gotta lead to the next movie. I will There's see. There's no it. it's just too big. I mean, I don't even I don't think they're done reintroducing like original Star Trek concepts. Oh, but why not? You know, I mean I we'll see. Who we'll cares? See. Hey. Look, I mean, you could just listen to like what we're talking how we're talking. You'll probably figure it out. Yeah. But uh it's so cool. It's a buy it from me. This is a great book. Joey, your turn to shoot. All right, all right. Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye number one. It's the third release from DC Young Animal. Third time's the charm. Written by Jonathan Rivera and Gerard Way. Art by Michael Avon Oming. Colors by Nick Filardi. It's 40 pages for $3.99. Cave Carson hasn't had it too easy lately. He's given up his exciting life as an underground adventurer just in time for his wife to fall ill and pass away. Now he's stuck in a job above ground where he helps prepare a new generation of geological explorers. His daughter is off at college doing God only knows what. And now his mysterious eye may be trying to drive him insane with hallucinations of his dead wife and friends from underground and terrible monsters. Yeah. I really felt for Carson as he struggles to adjust his new status quo. I mean, he's still connected to the fantastic tangentially like he's working at a super science lab sure. and he's training these guys and he knows doc magnus and the metal men but he's not the guy anymore. but he's not the guy yeah and his world is just a lot less bright without his family with him gerard way's name is in the credits but i have to give props to co-writer jonathan rivera i'm going to assume that he is responsible i, I think it's a safe bet. for this book being the most accessible and straightforward of all the young animal books to date or the first one to make any sense whatsoever sure <laughs> But it's no less inventive. No. This this is a tour of the 50s and 60s non-superhero DC concepts. Like I said, Doc Magnus and the Metal Men show up. I kind of felt like a Challengers of the Unknown vibe. Definitely. And of course, there's Cave Carson himself. Plus, (laughs) there's a surprise tie-in to another quote-unquote classic DC concept. Yeah, don't spoil it. Uh, I'm going to put that in air quotes. From a more modern era. And it made me cheer. When we got to the last page, yeah, I yeah. was excited. This character literally has no business. No, no. It gave Nothing at all to do. But it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> of course, there's a knock on the door that thrusts Cave back into the life he thought he left behind. 
and a sinister thread that may have something to do with his employer. I really enjoyed the story, but I was blown away by the art by Michael Avon Oming and Nick Filardi. It's the best Oming's ever looked. I, I mentioned last week that I didn't even remember hearing that Oming was drawing this book. His art is always great, but he's doing a lot of really fun things with panel layouts here, especially as the story dips in and out of Cave's hallucinations. The MVP, though, I thought was, without a doubt, colorist Nick Filardi. Yeah. He permeates Cave's mundane life with drab earth tones, and then the pages explode with unreal color whenever Cave loses control of his sight or when there's an intrusion from something that doesn't belong in the real world. Plus, he applies this very cool dot effect, almost like full color Zipatone. Zipatone is is black dots, usually for black and white art. Right. Uh, but this is like full color Zipatone dots that really make the art pop. Uh, off the page or I read it digitally. So it just l- looked great on a screen Pop off the iPad, but like it just looked so cool yeah. on a screen like that. I was expecting another totally bizarre offering from young animal, but I ended up enjoying cave Carson number one a lot. I'm excited to see where this book goes from here. I'm giving it a buy it. I'm giving it a buy it as well. One of the things that I noticed that they just sort of dropped in here, like cave Carson cusses like, and there's a little bit of nudity in this book. Yeah, all of the young animal books yeah. are labeled for mature readers. Yeah, and but so they've had cursing in the other ones. Well, sure, but I'm just saying it's this is the first one that I think is firmly in DC continuity. Oh, um, it sure felt like it. Well, he talks about Superman. The metal men are there. Yeah, yeah. the metal men. I mean, did they, he talk about Superman? Yeah, he was like, this reminds me of. Time oh, that's right. Yeah, you're Superman right. You're right. Whatever. And he's like, yeah, shut up. Whatever. <laughs> right. Know? Yes. You know, and I mean this. They're not afraid to go a little mature with these stories, and I think it gives it a little more edge. Yeah. And I think you need to do that to make a character well, like Cave Carson interesting. And we knew that these were going to be connected to the DC Universe because the next book, Mother Panic, okay. is the name of it, is tied to Batman. Yeah. It's a it's a Gotham book. I think it's cool, though. I think they're just sort of seamlessly doing it. They're not setting up two separate, here's the mature universe and this right. is the regular universe. Like, you're just telling different stories in different books. and. This was great. It was beautiful to look at. The colors were amazing. I never Very thought I'd care surprise. about Cave Carson. Yeah. He's perfectly realized here. Huge buy. Cave Shake your So that is a double buy it for both Cave Carson number one and Star Trek Boldly Go number one. It was a good week. Now it's time for you aging spelunkers and Starfleet graduates to play critics, so head over to the THN forums. They are at thnforums.boards.net. And tell us what you thought of these comics. All this resurrection blue and gold team talk whipped some of us X-Fans into a retro 90s Jim Lee fuel riot. And as you heard, Joe and I were not the exception. So, we're going to strap on our pouch-ridden bandoliers, pop our claws, jump into our hover wheelchairs, and haul ass to our local comic shop while we review ten more of this week's comics during the X-Ludicrous X-Speed X-Round! I wanted a hover wheelchair so bad. Yeah, I wanted to be paralyzed so bad! (laughs) Ludicrous Speed! Go! Bell on Wheels, number one for Dark Horse. Oh, it's one thing I love. It's a pun that happens right in the f- 
fucking title. Hellcat writer Kate Leth gives us the story of three modern witches who make their living reading fortunes and giving bros tattoos that make them respect their girlfriends until their house is robbed by a creepy ex-boyfriend <laughs> stealing magic items. Let's write some very believable characters. And artist Megan Levin's art reminds me of an updated Archie house style, but she does a great job drawing real women with believable body types. Spell on Wheels jumps into the plot a little too quickly here. It didn't give me quite as much background as the characters I would have liked because they are very interesting, but it is a clever read with great art. I'm giving it a buy it. Dirk Gently, The Salmon of Doubt, number one from IDW. I've read the first three issues of every IDW Dirk Gently series, and I always lose interest before the story is finished. All right, I not lose interest. That's not fair. I fall behind and don't bother to go back. Sure. The books aren't bad at all, but I don't know why I keep doing it. I was never a fan of Douglas Adams's holistic detective, but the stories just seem like quirky fun. This one is no different as Dirk starts recalling memories for events he doesn't remember living through. It seems like they might be trying to mesh this version with the one from the upcoming BBC series, which starts today, as a matter of fact. Oh. Arvind David's script is snappy and fun, and the art by Elias Kiriazis is really, really good. That guy is great. It's bizarre. I have no idea if it takes place in a normal world or one with magic and sci-fi stuff. Yeah, kind of both. There's like a giant troll that's stealing cats. Yeah. I don't f no. no, there were no rules in Dark Gently, certainly. And I'll probably drift away from it before too long, but... I'm kind of digging it for now, so Dirk Gently number one gets a skim it. Lord of Gore number one from Devil's Due. Okay, stick with me here because this is a long and winding soap opera that you will get lost in if you don't pay close attention. This book follows a struggling scriptwriter working on a reboot of an 80s horror franchise that garnered mainstream attention after the star who played a murderous axe-wielding madman called The Headsman actually murdered the hell out of his girlfriend. Now the producer is a so jerk. So like Kane Hodder in real life yeah, yeah, yeah. killed his lady. Yes, exactly. Not that Kane Hodder did. Kane Hodder is a very, very nice guy. Kane Hodder <laughs> is a serial killer. No. You heard it here first. No, he's a super nice guy. I've met him. <laughs> now the producer is a jerk that doesn't take the project seriously and might be sleeping with the scriptwriter's girlfriend or ex-wife. His The scriptwriter's good friend has cancer. And then, you guessed it, the headsman actually shows up after almost 20 pages of soap opera. Lord of Gore was convoluted, full of deplorable characters, very hard to care about, and I'm giving it a leave it. Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps, number six from DC. You know, I'll bet no one is more happy about the recent DC reboots than Arkillo, <laughs> the Sinestro Corps member who wore his own severed tongue on a rope around his neck for five years before the New 52. Yeah, he was a mean guy. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the players are all converging and Hal is headed for a reunion with the GLC in the heart of Warworld. This book has been really great. Really? I gotta jump back on. Oh man. Robert Venditti's story is engaging and he does a great job giving equal time to a very large cast. And the art by Rafa Sandoval evokes all of my best memories of early Howard Porter and Olivier Coipel. It's gorgeous. I'm so glad to have a Green Lantern book worth reading again. Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps gets a huge buy it. Can't we it's, just call it Green Lantern Corps? It's very good. <laughs> On the flip side, I don't like the other one. Green Lanterns with an S. Yeah, it's bad. I don't care about it. Infamous Iron Man, number one from Marvel. Okay, huge spoiler alert. So if you don't want to know what happens in the end of Civil War 2, break your MP3 listening device now. Spoiler alert. 
Okay, Point that was your chance. Alert. Marvel dropped the ball big time with delays on their Civil War II event that ends with the death of Tony Stark, apparently. <laughs> Here, the good-looking Victor Von Doom is Doc Doom no more and picking up the mantle of Iron Man. It's, of course, Bendis making everyone sound like Bendis with the same look of international Iron Man, thanks to Alex Mayleaves amazing art, but I did really like this. Infamous Iron Man furthers the Doom story that I'm very curious about and brings a beloved character back from outer space, but wow did it take the wind out of the end of Civil War 2! Man. <laughs> this is a buy it, but it probably should have been pushed back a few months. No, they effed like, this up We big did time. not need this book now. This They've... could have come out in February and it'd still be fun. And you wouldn't have ruined the end of Civil War II. David Marquez's wife had to go and have a baby. Like, Way to go. How did they let this happen? I don't get well, it. Like, they knew that the book was going to be late, and then they added an extra issue? Yeah. What the hell? So, I mean, fine, do that, but maybe hold off on everything. This has nothing to do with anything other than uh, Doctor Doom's story. You could have done this at any time. Yep. And it would work. I don't get it. Precog, number one, from King Baby Comics. I love it. <laughs> I picked this up from Comixology on the recommendation of our buddy Chase Magnet. Precog is a sci-fi crime story about a petty thief that uses a drug that lets him see the future to avoid retaliation from the mob. Oh, like because bath salts. he stole he stole a bunch of their money. Just like bath salts. Just like bath salts. <laughs> Mark Stack, publisher of Comics Bulletin, delivers a script that's clever and thrilling with plenty of twists, alongside some nice black and white art by Sally Cantorino. This was a quick read. It was only about 14 pages or so, but it's super fun, and it was only a buck. Damn. Support indie comics like Precog. Buy it. The Black Hood, season two, number one from Archie slash Dark Circle. Plagued by delays and rumors of cancellation, Archie's Dark Circle imprint continues to limp to its death. What, the one book? <laughs> well, all the other ones have been, uh, who knows where, with Dwayne Swarzynski's Black Hood. I should say, this is the only series in the imprint with steady output. Yes. The, the hood is back, and this time he's homeless and living in Santa Barbara, where he comes running down the freeway to stop the, the masked shotgun twins from murdering somebody with a palm tree frond. Greg Scott's okay. art is so dark and heavily inked that it makes the action look clunky and very hard to follow at times. I didn't mind the Black Hood when it started, but this had so much narration, it seemed like Swierzynski is painfully aware that no one is paying attention anymore. That's a bummer. I'm giving it a low skim it. Kiss, number one from Dynamite. Why? Why should why? <laughs> why should Matt get to review all the Kiss comics? <laughs> 468 years after the Great War, the last remnants of humanity live in an underground metropolis called Blackwell. But four teens start questioning everything around them and search for the truth about their past. And what they're about to discover are secrets that will rock and roll their world all night for 40 and years. party their butts off every day. 40 years you've been trying to hammer Kiss into some dumb sci-fi world. I know. <laughs> uh, other than the fact that this reads like every single dystopian young adult novel ever written, it wasn't that bad. Yes, it was. And, I mean, this sucks. No, look, it was 
painfully inoffensive. It was so dull. It didn't even push enough to make me mad about well, it. Well, but there's nothing even remotely kiss about. Like, you could have taken all the kiss references yes. out and put in Ario Speedwagon references. Sure, right. And I you would have been like, oh, man. <laughs> for now. I mean, they're probably going to get Who to it. Who were these men that were riding the storm out? Look, Maybe they will <laughs> come crashing through our door. <laughs> Look, I can't really think of Crawl any. Crawl upon our floor <laughs> and help us not to fight this feeling anymore. <laughs> I can't really find any reason to recommend it outside of super fandom, but writer Amy Chu and artist Cuber Ball yeah. really do the best they can with what they have. That sounds like the worst D&D name ever. Look, I'm giving Kiss number one a leave it with the caveat that like, it's it's really not that bad, but there's also nothing to recommend it about sucked. it. sucked. Leave it. No more Kiss comics. Let it go. Die, Kitty, die, number one from Chapter House. Kitty is a busty ginger witch that starred in a Harvey-esque cartoon comic book back when comics were still fun, quote. Only the classic story we see about Kitty is all about her great big boobs, and it's full of boob jokes and boob puns. So, not at all like the Harvey comics that I remember. <laughs> Today, Kitty's an actual witch that runs a comic shop and also still stars in a monthly book that's more like the Archie relaunch. Writers Dan Parent and Fernando Ruiz use Kitty as a complete takedown of the comic book industry, but it's peppered with bad, pervy jokes and terrible puns. This is unfunny, too blunt, and packed full of cheesecake. Die, Kitty, die gets a bizarre why do we need this and a leave it. Slapstick number one from Marvel. No, thank you. <laughs> Fred Van Lente, Riley Brown, and Diego Olortegui bring yet another of Deadpool's recent sidekicks into their own series, this time as one of Marvel's infinite comics. By the way, when we laugh at names, it's not because you're like Nick We're George. laughing at our crushing inability yes, to pronounce them. How badly white dorks like us pronounce it. Here, the living cartoon character runs afoul of the Amazing Spider-Man while using Deadpool's identity to secure a mercenary contract. Got it? The artist, let's call him Diego to avoid making a fool of myself, does some really interesting things with the art, along with colorist Jim Campbell, to make slapstick truly appear like an unreal cartoon in contrast to the real world. The script is exactly what the title implies, but it has a lot of really clever jokes. It's best experienced using the guided view technology available on the various apps. Marvel collects these things in print eventually, but they don't work as well without the neat transitional effects that are available on, like, right. uh, the Comixology or the Marvel.com app. Despite my lack of interest in the continued Deadpoolification of the Marvel Universe, I actually kind of enjoyed this. Well, Fred Van Lanny is a talented Right, it was funny. It looked great, and I'll probably never remember to go back and read future installments. Slapstick number one gets a strong skim it. That is your ludicrous speed round in. Pancake is the automatopoeia of the week. And the sound of Slapstick crushing a hijacker's gun hand with his giant mallet, as seen in the virtual pages. He didn't have a gun hand. He had, like, his shooting hand is what oh, I mean Oh, that. he had a gun he in his hand. Not like Bushwhacker. Or, or Ricochet. Right. <laughs> we just named two characters with guns for hands. <laughs> <laughs> if you want even more reviews of this week's comics, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out... The gun-handed Aaron Myers Ludicrous Speed Reviews. I don't know how he turns pages with that thing. And remember, you can pick up these and <laughs> Just all... Just don't the... ask him about his bathroom habits. <laughs> you can ask. And remember, you can pick up 
these and all the rest of this week's new comics through our Amazon button over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. It's in the notes. You go through the portal. It's just like shopping on Amazon, but we get a little kickback. You don't just have to buy comics. Buy anything you want. It is a great way to get your fun. The books. more expensive, the better. Yes. If you want to buy something really extravagant on Amazon, yeah. go to TwoHeadedNerd.com. Go to the show notes, click the link, and buy it. Yeah, and if you don't have any money, just take out a credit card under a fake name and then swear that person died. That's what I do. It works great. <laughs> The credit card fraud advice and opinions expressed here are those of Matt Baum and do not reflect the views of the two-headed nerd. This week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, we're joined by the sexy and supernatural goblin queen herself, Madeline Pryor. Ouch. Miss Pryor is famous for her bizarre backstory and even stranger lingerie. So... In an attempt to make her feel less objectified, Matt and I have slipped into some very slinky lingerie of our own because nothing says we don't objectify you like putting on the same outfit. Hey, we're cross-dressing. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I like that you went with the classic garter belt and thigh highs. It's very tasteful. Thank you. Let's say we have a glass of this Essex Estates Cabernet Reserve and talk about our must-read picks for next week. Sounds delicious. My must-read pick for next week is Bloodshot USA, number one from Valiant, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Doug Braithwaite, 32 pages, $3.99. Jeff Lemire is going bonkers with Bloodshot. Check this out. In Bloodshot, we trust. Project Rising Spirit, America's greatest exporter of classified weapons technology, has achieved a breakthrough, a contagious airborne nanite dispersion prototype that can turn the population of any city into an army of indestructible soldiers, a doomsday virus capable of destroying an enemy nation from the inside out. A machine-made pathogen that can completely rewrite human physiology, question mark, and hard-code every man, woman, and child with the same cutting-edge technology that created their greatest weapon, colon, bloodshot, period? But now, question mark, Project Rising Spirit's top hyphenated secret contagion has been released onto the streets of America's greatest metropolis, colon, New York City. As mayhem engulfs Manhattan, Bloodshot must lead the most dangerous invasion ever waged on American soil and keep the runaway pandemic from toppling armies and governments, question mark? <laughs> I don't think that might be a typo. They snuck in like all these weird little... <laughs> and threatening to destroy humanity itself in the tradition of the Valiant! The Big Apple turns blood red in this pivotal new standalone comics event. Bloodshot is so violent. The Valiant was amazing. And so great. Yeah. I cannot wait to see him go into New York and murder everyone. Oh, <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta go back and Bloodshot read that stuff. Bloodshot is fan-fucking-tastic. I love that I book. Loved, I loved Bloodshot. God. I miss reading Valiant. I read that crap. Up. I find it so hard, like personally, I'm just not that kind of reader to just jump back in. I'm sure that I can. You totally can. But like, I feel like I've missed out. And so I'm crippled by the need to go back and read it all. You're not crippled. And the lack of time to do so. You're, you're shooting yourself in the foot. It's all in my head. Yes. I know. I know. <laughs> that's not, that's your fault. I'm going to read Bloodshot USA number one. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it. Great. I'm going to review it. So you're going to have to. My pick for next week is Hal Jordan in the Green Lantern Corps number seven from DC. It's written by Robert Venditti with art by Rafa Sandoval. 32 pages for $2.99. Here's your solicit. Sinestro's Law Part 7! <laughs> Sinestro's Law concludes as Hal Jordan and Sinestro come to blows for control over the universe with his back against the wall. Will Hal's friends show up in time to tip the scales in his favor? Spoilers! Probably. <laughs> uh, like I just got done saying... 
This book is great. DC is doing a great job. Robert Venditti. I don't know what it is, man. Like we read his, we read a few issues of his run back when he took over from you, Jeff Johns. No, you know what it is. You know exactly what it is. There was too much editorial crap holding him back. And now they're giving him some room to play. We don't know that. We don't know that. Like, there's no way it went from being that boring to this great. But do you think that now with every eye on them in their big new relaunch, they're giving less editorial control? Yeah, I do. I think they're letting them <laughs> tell right. the stories they want to tell. They said that's what they were going to do. All right. All right. <laughs> Look, Green Lantern, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps is really fun. I love it. I'm excited. This is the conclusion of the first arc. I got to know how it ends. I have been thrilled by it. The THN trade period. <laughs> Thank you of the week goes to at the shore, a graphic novel from alternative comics written and illustrated by Jim Campbell, 208 pages for 1999. What a bargain. That's like less than a cent a page. I think um, I'm pretty sure I'm doing that math right. Here's yeah. just a listen. A group of art students head to the shore, but something sinister is hidden beneath the incoming waves from the artist of over the garden wall. He's fan friggin' tastic. I know, right? At the shore is an original full color graphic novel of kids meddling with the undead sea monsters and scientists. So I got to pick the, this cute looking graphic novel and still continue the theme of scary horror reads for I Halloween. Love it. I love it. It sounds scary. Campbell is a fantastic artist. Yeah. He's I'm not excited. writing over the garden wall though, is he? He's, um, he's the illustrator. Well, okay. He was listed as the artist of over the garden wall, but it takes a, an army of people to make a cartoon. So I, I just assumed he was the creator. Okay. I didn't look it up regardless to be fair. Going to be awesome. He is definitely in charge of the art style of that show. I think that's fair to say. Okay. Matt, I don't know how the goblin queen keeps her butt from sticking to the leather couch. She's demonic magic. That's how she does it. And I'm having some real issues here. While I go get changed, why don't you nerds head over to our Facebook page and tell us what you're excited to read next week. We got lots of social media pages. Sure, sure, we want sure. you to go to all of them. Well, she's a clone. Yeah. Everyone knows that clones butt cheeks do not sweat. Is that right? Yeah. Our fourth week review show relentlessly rolls on, and now it's time for Take a Look. It's in a book. Every month, Joe and I pick up a trade paperback or original graphic novel to review, and this month, it's Rob Sham's Light from Magnetic Press. Joey, we often make jokes about reading books with pictures, not books with words. Well, this is the ultimate one, because there ain't no words in it. It is a book sans words. Set this one up for the kids, Joe. What's it about? A pair of adventurers embark on an epic quest to collect five magic gems from deep inside the earth and bring them to the surface to return color to the world. On the way, they carry firelit torches through secret places and endless passages, swim in crystal clear waters, encounter strange beasts, and meet strange and mysterious hermits. This is an inspiring all-ages story that recalls retro video games and RPGs, creating a one-of-a-kind mythos of magic lands and mischievous creatures. Absolutely. I mean, I, it's I definitely very video gaming. Oh, yeah, definitely. The, the story is basically one boss battle after another, and you get a reward for it, a little piece of something that you need. And when you put them all together, you win the game. Yeah, <laughs> right. The game here is this main character lives on a planet with no color, essentially. When it opens up with this sort of ninja looking character, would you call it? He's like a white faced, almost like me. Well, he looked like bone. He looked yeah, like kind of like bone. Yeah. But 
he also had sort of like a, I don't know, he had like a storm shadow, like a cute cartoony storm shadow look to him. And I bring it up because he meets another character. I mean, he's essentially featureless. Yeah. Well, or is he masked? No, he's featureless. Yes. Yeah, he's he's sort of a featureless little bone character sort of looking guy with two little dots for eyes. Oh, but he does meet a, a friend who looks well, sort of like a ninja. Yeah. Yeah. It, he lives in this colorless world. And he has a map that was looks like it was left to him, perhaps by somebody else. It, it, it happens in the book. It was bequeathed to him by the elder. Yeah, and he sets off on this quest. Right. So, so it's like the guy. The guy's like mumble, mumble, mumble. It's yeah. dangerous to go alone. Take this. Yeah. And he gives him a map and a sword, and right. he goes. The quest is probably been partaken by several other people that didn't survive. But this guy's a badass. He's gonna go do it. So he ventures underground, and when he gets underground, he's carrying a torch and. All the pages, they're all one panel pages for the most part. There's a couple like double panel, three panel, whatever, but they're pretty big one panel pages and they're heavily, heavily black, except for the torch that the main character is carrying. And when he gets underground, there are little splits of color that appear on the stalactites around him. And he suddenly illuminates all these bizarre creatures that are very colorful, living in complete darkness under the earth and mind you above the earth everything was complete stark black and white you were right the first time it's all single panels there are no it's all just a, it's a series of square images isn't there a couple that nope. oh okay it's all single panels all right yeah and in his travels the in the first travel where he's going after this i believe it's a red gem he fights this red monster and the monsters are just ridiculous they're huge you know, in a very boss battle type sense, but they're also kind of hapless, <laughs> you know, like they're not very good at being monsters and the character kills them, murders the hell out of them pretty easily. Sort of like playing a video game on its easiest setting. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, he's so the first gem is a red gem, he, which he takes from a group of creatures. Right. Uh, where he meets his friend. And then from there, they go off together and they fight giant bats. But and there's a big first, frog thing. He meets this little like black ninja looking character. This, that's what I just said. No, but what I'm saying is they're he not doesn't friends. Do it. They're yeah. not friends when they first meet. He's telling a story without any words. And he's able to convey that someone else is on this quest too. this other character, this little black ninja character. And when the white character first encounters him, he squares off like back off, pal. I'm taking the gem. See, and then and I did not, I did not get that. It's funny that he you points a sword at him. Uh, <laughs> that's not what I mean. It's funny that you get the, uh, that you got the idea that he was, uh, on the quest as well, uh, on his own quest. I got the idea that he was with that group of creatures because he looks sort of similar. Maybe, but I think he was on a similar quest as well. Because the idea was he was going to go get the other gems. They realize we probably can't do it alone and there's bigger trouble here. So they team up and they go off. And then the book goes into fighting giant monster after giant monster on their quest to pick up each gem. And but sometimes he fights. Sometimes yeah. he's friendly. That's true. He rides They're, on the back of a giant turtle covered in trees. Yeah. And there's some monsters that just kind of give up the gem. Like they didn't really know they were protecting anything. <laughs> But as they do, the two get closer and closer and you get like these sort of tender moments of them like sitting by the fire or like sleeping next to each other. Yeah. Or, you know, they end up meeting an old hermit that 
I can't, it reminded me of something I mean, very much like a Miyazaki type character. Yeah. And the hermit tells them where to find the final gem. They go and get the final gem. We're not, I'm not spoiling anything here because the story is so simple. Well, yeah. And the hermit like points to the black ninja characters, like go get it. And he can't do it. Right. For some reason he can't do it. And then he points to the white character and the white character goes up and the gem just sort of falls into his hands like you are the chosen one just like trump's america am i right (laughs) settle down (laughs) but there's there's actually after all the murder takes place there's kind of a touching end where they return like you keep saying murder like they're on an adventure where he has to fight monsters they're not like making a big show of him slaughtering creatures but they kill the hell out of most of the monsters and some of the monsters were just like bad at being no, like he cut, like the, i felt bad for the bat thing that but he, the bats they end up befriending the bat thing but it dies by crashing into a stalactite no they meet it again later oh, and, that's they, right. and they help them. him find a monster yeah but it was like it was like bad at being a bat <laughs> i don't know if they felt bad for it and they didn't kill it yeah, like they <laughs> so like they get eaten by a frog yeah, and, and they, they cut their way out of the frog but the frog is gigantic and it's still alive and it chases them yeah it's fun cartoony stuff yeah. they're not like slaughtering innocent creatures no i'm not saying they're slaughtering innocent creatures but the, maybe it's just the way the creatures were drawn like none of them were very scary they're all kinda, no they're not very they're scary just hapless and they got killed and some of them got eaten even <laughs> so really i mean we're, we're we're just kind of spinning out the plot here because there's no real the joy of reading this book is not to see where the story goes you know where the no. story's gonna go he's yeah. gonna collect all the pieces he's gonna bring light back to the world the end that's how it that's well, not the, light but color Right. Well, the name of the book is light. So, right. Come on. Okay. Uh, so yes, it's like a video game. He's going to win. Yes. The joy in the book is, is just watching this journey and the, uh, crazy atmospheric environments that Rob creates with his art. It almost looks like these characters are drawn or painted on top of, um, Scratchboard, kind of. Which, if you don't know what scratchboard is, it's this material you can buy uh, where it's covered in uh, black, or you probably can get it in different colors. Yeah, uh, and then you take a sharp stick, uh, like a toothpick or whatever, exacto knife, whatever you yeah. want, and a sharp you, stick. Well, yeah, usually it's <laughs> you like go a, outside, you fetch a switch. <laughs> like, well, I've always done it with like a dowel, like a sharp, a okay. small sharpened dowel. Okay, and you literally like scratch your art into this scratchboard right and underneath the black is a layer of color sometimes it's a single color sometimes it's like a rainbow color and it's a very cool visual effect and that's how the backgrounds all look uh when they're in the dark like it's just this kind of scratchboard yeah art yeah really it the art is a star here and it is very simple and i know i'm guilty of saying this a lot but it is deceptively simple it's somewhere between well it's very the the style is very cartoony yeah like i said it's somewhere between miyazaki meets adventure time but it's so well drawn and 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 well designed and thoughtfully designed and the color is just so ethereal like when they finally return to the surface world and combine all the gems and color all of a sudden appears in the surface world it's like there's a whole new world of adventure and there was all this life there that you didn't see because it was just sort of stale and black and white. And suddenly there's little creatures everywhere, you know, and it was just wonderful. This, it's a, <laughs> that's actually this is a I, wonderful book. I really liked that. You, you see the color flood back and then all of a sudden there are all these creatures looking around and they're all like standing around going like, like what the f- 
Yeah, what just happened? <laughs> like it, looking at their own arms, yeah. like, whoa! And it gives the feel like the adventure just began. You know, like this is the beginning of the story. Right. Like, oh, man. I And I would love to read more of this. This was absolutely beautiful. Sham is a masterful artist. And I love the design of this. I would play this as like an iOS game or something on my iPad. For sure, yeah. <laughs> this was great. And I think anyone that's a fan, like I said, of classic video games, like Legend of Zelda themed adventure games, old D&D, you'd absolutely love this. And it'd be a blast to read with your kids, too. Totally all ages appropriate. Yep. Tons of fun. Huge. Bite. I mean, he's like, I'm flipping through it now. And he even like, as they're going back, they're backtracking, which is another video gamey thing. Like yeah. you find the thing you need and then you got to go back to that area you were just in. Yeah. Uh, and he, in a lot of cases, like they are reuniting with the things that they fought to get here. So yeah. it's like they're on their way back and they're like, now they're making friends with the group of things that they stole the first gem. Yeah. From. Like maybe they just didn't understand what they were doing. And yeah. now, you know, um, but yeah, it's, it's, a really wonderful read, a beautiful art. Again, not that the story ha- plays no part, but it's such a familiar one right. uh, that this is absolutely more of an artistic vehicle for this very, very talented creator. And I'd love to see more of his work. Yeah. Uh, it's a buy it for me. Well, that is a double buy it for Rob Sham's Light. If you want to pick this book up, it's available at Amazon for $19.99, 108 pages absolutely beautiful book from magnetic press this was through the bunyo imprint which uh, ulysses farinas yep. runs. so cool i can't wait to see more offerings from bunyo if there's going to be this inventive and this creative pick this one up go to your comic shop have them order it for you if you've got one near you absolutely worth it next month on take a look it's in a book we will be reviewing tetris uh, the games people play oh, by nice. Box Brown. They sent me a copy. Oh, cool! I'm super excited for that. Yeah, I'm. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. Page after page of little pixelated blocks, ah. slowly moving. <laughs> yeah. it's everything I want. It's from like a, a flip book, book right? Right. <laughs> Sort of break it, break it down like this. That is it for THN episode 269. If you're into podcasts with no words, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes. Oh, what a dream that would be. <laughs> or your favorite podcast app. Unless it was just all nonsense. I, I, I would love to hear a version of this podcast with just the musical stings and like the Dragon Force and the Alec Baldwin. Or our little grunts and screws up. <laughs> right, Screw yeah. Up. The, uh, <laughs> never mind. Start over. And while you're there, leave us your star rating to reviews your thumbs up or your hearts because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners thank you to all of our donors you nerds keep our worlds lush and full of color there you go if you want to support the show you can do so by clicking the paypal button at twoheadednerd.com you can also become a sustaining member by checking the box that says make this donation monthly when you donate whenever you do donate as little as a dollar a month really does help and we appreciate every one of you And of course, if you are one of those poor saps that doesn't have a local comic book shop, you can go to the show notes for each and every episode of The Two-Headed Nerd and go to our Amazon link where you can shop for comics, clothes, electronics, anything through the Two-Headed Nerd portal and we get a little kickback. It's awesome. It doesn't cost you any extra money. It's awesome. It's just another way to support the show. If you want to interact with us or say, I don't know, send us a sketch of what you think the Two-Headed Nerd looks like, you can send it to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com. Shout out to Randy Andrews Randy for sending Andrews us some fan art this week. He's like, here's a little something I drew while I was at the symphony. And I was like, Not, I think you're you supposed to You should have been watching the dude. symphony. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to connect with us, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com. There you can find links to all of our contact info. 
via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, where we post the outtake of the week. And the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. Use that number to answer the question of the week or play along with any of our segments. If you like the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. I'm a subscriber. Hey, before we go. That's just so I can write the show notes. Okay, gotcha. (laughs) Our weekly shout out goes to Jamie Filer, a talented Cincinnati tattoo artist who spent his damn birthday this week listening to THN and spreading the word about the show to his followers. Word to you, Jamie. And... Happy birthday, buddy. Follow that dude on Instagram. He is awesome. Nice. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might hold you down and tattoo deadbeat on your forehead in bold old English letters. This (laughs) is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off.